So we're continuing this Advent sermon series, and we are using this as an opportunity not just to prepare our hearts uh, to celebrate Christmas, to, to celebrate Jesus' arrival into the world. Uh, we are also taking this opportunity, this season of Advent, to consider Jesus' second coming, uh, the, the reality of his coming again, his second Advent. And we've seen that this is not just some curious little add-on to our Christian faith uh, that uh, we believe as Christians, but uh, Jesus' second coming is prominent in his own teaching. It's prominent throughout the teaching of the Bible. And so we're seeking to understand his second coming and really uh, tune our hearts to the reality of it and its implications on our lives of his return. So as we do that, we've, uh, we've been learning that it really does impact our everyday lives, and this is why we are calling this our Everyday Advent series. So today we're considering the fact that there were signs in the stars of Jesus' coming. Very famously, there was a star in the sky, and there was these magi, these wise men from the east who saw it. Uh, it signaled to them that there was the birth of a king. So they went and they uh, ultimately found Jesus and they worshipped him. And we, we consider that and we compare that to the words of Jesus who said that when he returns, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. So the question is, can we understand from the alignment of the stars and the planets or different astrological signs that Jesus is uh, returning, or that God is doing something? Will we know that Jesus is coming back uh, by looking at those things? And if so, what about 2018? What about this year? Because 2018, it all started January 1st with a super moon. Do you remember this? You weren't paying attention. <laughs> There are those who thought, or perhaps still feel, that this year could spark the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because January 1st was one supermoon, but we had two supermoons in January. The second of which was the super blue blood moon. The moon turning to blood, that sounds biblical to me. Not only did we have the super blue blood moon... Uh, it was during a Jewish festival, the Jewish festival of trees, which I had never even heard of. Uh, some people believe that these were signs from God that you know, this, this would be the biblical year. It's also, 2018, the 70th anniversary of the birth of Israel as a nation, 1948. Uh, Israel declared a nation. 70 years? That's 7 and 10. Biblical, biblical. One website claimed, <clears throat> if the great American eclipse of 2017, so there was things that were foreshadowing 2018, by the way, if the great American eclipse of 2017 was the darkened sun piece of the puzzle, then perhaps the blood moon in January is the missing piece which could mean the day of the Lord begins soon, even this year. And there's still a couple weeks left in 2018. So shouldn't we be on high alert right now? Just two days ago, the Geminids meteor shower peaked on the 14th of December. Did you know that? It was in the middle of the night. It's not a very popular meteor shower because it's typically really cold. 
and it's in the middle of the night, and it was, it was cloudy. I actually got up to check. Um, but we got through that one. The source comet of the Geminids meteor shower will be brightest in the sky with a naked eye magnitude of three to seven and a half. On what day do you think? Today, December 16th. Why are you not running out of here in terror? Are there signs of the end of times? And can we see them? And how are we to understand them and respond to them? That's, we want to look at that today. Uh, we're going to put, don't run in terror um, yet. And uh, we want to focus on um, really the sign of Jesus' birth. There was a star in the sky. And, um, and he said that in the sun, moon, and stars, at his second coming, this will be. So you, and you, so you might be sitting here as we launch into this message thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? Does this really matter? I mean, how would I even uh, respond to this? And I, I think you'd be surprised to know. I think you'd be surprised to learn this is actually quite relevant to us. Uh, so if you're sitting there feeling like this is not relevant, uh, hang in there. You might be sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, this man is crazy. This church is crazy. And if that's you and you feel that way, I'm not far behind you. I actually, um, I'm, I'm, this is borderline uh, for me too. But let's head down this road together and I, I believe God has something in store for us in this. So let's pray as we do this. So Father, this is your word, Lord. And we, we sit in submission of it. We sit before it knowing that you have given it to us and you have told us things and you have shown us things that we might live for you, that we might know you. It's all part of your saving work, Lord. So as we consider uh, these ideas, help us to see what you want us to see, Lord. Teach us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the signs of the times, or the, the signs of the second coming. Jesus did teach that there would be signs, certain things needed to happen uh, before he would return, or as, he, as signs of his return. Uh, there was things mentioned, uh, the proclamation of the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, to all nations. And that there would be uh, people coming to faith and salvation would be known in a certain fullness before his return. Jesus also said there would be great tribulation and great persecution of, of his people. There would be uh, apostasy or a falling away of, of people from faith, that people would be turning from faith in Jesus uh, in, in, in great numbers towards the end. That there would be deceivers and false prophets and antichrist in the world. There would be wars and earthquakes and famines. And, and yes, in our text today, there would be signs in the heavens. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. So what do we do with these signs? Well, let me give you a few considerations, kind of big picture, before we narrow in here. Um, a few considerations. One is we're not to just think of these things as end times signs, but these are things that characterize the entire period of uh, the time between Jesus' coming and his second coming. Uh, and now these things may intensify, but they're all things that have been present in the world since the time of Christ. And that's why so many people who take the Bible seriously 
have predicted and have felt that we're in it. We're in the last time. Jesus is coming soon because all these signs are being fulfilled. Well, those things have been in the world the whole time. That's why we feel this sense of, of uh, imminence that, it's, it's, that it could be very sudden Christ's return. The signs are already there. Even the sign of the Antichrist. And we talked about this, and I apologize for those of you who weren't here. When we read through John's letters and we were teaching on that, uh, his teaching was uh, we, that we were in the end times. Oh, let me read it for you. John 2.18, he said, this is the last hour. He's writing to the early church. He says, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. He's saying this is a, a future reality, but it's also a present reality. This is the, the reality of Antichrist is in the world. And he goes on to explain what that means. We talked about that. We can't go back through that. But um, it, it's the persecution and tribulation. These are things in the world. Now, as Americans, and we live in a, in a very uh, relatively safe place, but there are uh, followers of Jesus throughout the world who are severely persecuted, who are facing terrible tribulations, who would have a deep sense of the reality of Jesus' words here. Um, so, it's, so, first thing is, don't just think end times, but think all of this time as we wait for Jesus. Uh, secondly, is that these things are given to us not for us to attempt to predict the date of Jesus' return, nor are they given to us to predict a strict chronology of this is exactly the timetable of step one, step two, step three, step four, and then boom, Christ comes back. Prophecy, as Jesus shares prophecy in, throughout the Bible, it's, it's not like history. When, when Jesus is speaking of future events or a biblical prophet is speaking of the future, it's not giving the same detail as we would if you were writing about history. So we shouldn't read it that way. And it, so, for example, when w w the first coming of Jesus, there was all the prophecy that predicted that the Messiah was coming, and when he was coming, and where he was coming. And when he came, even people who put their faith in him couldn't comprehend how does Jesus fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah. For example, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the prophet who was called to announce that the Messiah had come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Yet, even John the Baptist, he, was, uh, he had faced troubles, he was imprisoned, he was, um, he was in a bad place. And he sent word back to Jesus to ask, hey, are you really the one who was to come? Is this really what the fulfillment of all those things were? Because I thought it would look different. And when we see prophecies about the future, we may be inclined to think, you know, I thought it would look different. I thought it was more specific things I'm looking for that I haven't seen yet. One author wrote this. He said, if believers like John the Baptist could have problems of this sort with predictions about Christ's first coming, what guarantee do we have that believers will not have similar difficulties uh, with predilections of Christ's second coming. We're confident all the predictions about Christ's return and the end of the world will be fulfilled, but we don't know exactly how they will be fulfilled. So the intent here, my point is, the intent is not that we have some kind of strict chronology. And when people think it's, you know, they can pinpoint the day and the time and they make a guess, they're always wrong. I came across a brilliant website this week where the guy every year predicts that Christ will not return and, he, and he's, right, he's been right 11 years straight. And he, and he uses that to uh, 
to, uh, to promote his view of the end times. He said, I've been right 11 years in a row, and everybody else who's predicted has been wrong, 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 and I'm right. You know, I was right in 2011, and 2012, and 2013. And he just, <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, but then he later goes on to predict whatever. He'll be wrong, I, or maybe not. I don't we'll see. Okay. Um, and the, the other thing to keep in mind, when we, when, we use the, when we look at these signs and we try to use them in that way, and Christians do, I don't know if you've ever come across a Christian who, or you've read this or you, you poke around online. I mean, people really try to do this. We can miss the whole point. So what is the point? What is the point of these predictions? The, the point is that we can live today. Because these things are happening and will continue to happen, we can make the most of every opportunity as we walk in faith in a dark world. We walk as children of light. We walk as God's children in a world that's very dark. And I love how it's put in the book of Romans, chapter 13. It's talking about, you know, we're to love our neighbors. And he says this, Do this, that is, love your neighbor, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Is, is Christ coming back soon? Well, he's coming, it's, it's closer now than it was yesterday. And you'll see these signs. Is this the sign? Yeah, those are signs to wake you up, to know that God is at work and that you are his child and that you have a task to do in this world today so we can live today. But secondly, we live not just for today. Jesus' work is not done yet, so we have this eager expectation that the world as I see it today is not the world as it will always be. And when I see little signs, if I think whatever sign in the, in the stars or, or whatever I see around me in the world or wars or, or tribulation or whatever it is, it reminds me that, yes, God is at work and he will fulfill all his promises, that he will, it will all be made right. Otherwise, we become so discouraged if, if just day after day is just going to be the same, the same struggles, the same injustices, the same everything. Also, the point of this is that it, for those who have never turned to faith in Jesus Christ, these signs or things that happen in the world pushes us to a decision. What are you going to do as the world becomes more chaotic, as you, as you sense maybe the world might even be ending or the end is near, if, if there's any sense of that because of a war, because of some environmental crisis, that it pushes us to decide... Do you trust God? Where, where is your faith? And we see this, uh, not just when thinking about the end of the world, when people think about the end of their own lives, when people have, uh, when they're facing death, when they have terminal illnesses, when they, when they have these moments where they realize that they will not live forever, they become very acutely in tune with what God may be doing, and it pushes to a decision that God is using it for good, that people may trust him. And then the uncertainty of all these things, um, it, it helps us to be just always prepared. You know, should we be vigilant? Should we be thinking that it can be? Yes. So that we don't become complacent. You know, I don't think we have enough evidence to say, yeah, actually, I think it's going to be tonight when the, when the comet is so bright. Or I don't think we have enough evidence to say, well, no, it's just way off in the future. We just don't know. We don't know how these things will intensify. Now, what about the stars? Specifically the stars. And this is where we come to these two passages here. First of all, in Matthew, we have these, um, 
you know, in the ancient world, there were those who, uh, these wise men, these magi from the east, who were astrologers, and they would look for these kind of stars that might herald the birth of a great person. The star that the wise men followed to find Jesus, what was it? We have no idea. And, and there, people have tried every which way to understand, was it uh, perhaps two planets that aligned? So uh, Saturn and Jupiter, right around the time of Jesus' birth, were aligned in a certain way that maybe that was a bright star in the sky for them. Maybe it was a comet. Um, actually, Halley's Comet would have been a little too early, would have been maybe 11 or 12 BC, but maybe there was some sort of comet. Or maybe it was a supernova, a star that was uh, expanding and getting ready to explode uh, with a certain brightness. So there are some Chinese astrologers that have some historic evidence of maybe around the time of Christ's birth that was there. But it, um, it only gets them in the general direction of, of Jerusalem. And then they show up and say, hey, where's the king born? And they find out through the scriptures that it was Bethlehem, which is a few miles away, and then they went, but the star moved over the place where Jesus was. So none of these things really explain why that star would move. But certainly it could be a combination of natural or supernatural things. We just don't know. Uh, could it have been some sort of uh, messenger angel from God? Uh, you know, the angels, uh, we don't know. But the question for us today is, well, how do we, how do we use the stars? Is it okay for us to use the stars to... Um, to know about what God is doing or in, in life. You know, there's experts who look at stars and they, in my new, I get daily newspaper, I get the Eagle Trib comes to my house and on the back page there's the horoscopes. That say, you know, if you're born in certain months and the stars are aligned a certain way, you can look out for certain things. If, if this is what God uses to guide the Magi and this is what God is using to signal Jesus' birth, shouldn't we pay attention? The answer is no. Uh, we should not consult those things. We should not look for wisdom through sources apart from God. Um, that these astrologers are not honoring God or Jesus as Lord. And it's put, if we put our faith in them and their predictions, it's something other than God. And we, uh, we can't determine God's will for our lives through those things like horoscopes. So read, read your Bible daily, not the horoscopes in the newspaper. And Matthew's Gospel doesn't condone astrology. It actually highlights something pretty interesting, that even the most pagan of pagan people can still, uh, will still turn to Jesus in faith if they're given the opportunity. And these men were chasing the stars, and they don't know what even. They're looking for some kind of king, and they find him, and they worship him. And that gives us great hope. If there's people in your life who you think, because of their faith system and their background, they will never believe Jesus. They are so far if given the opportunity to trust, they may put their faith in him. It gives us great hope. So that was in Matthew's. But then, so that was Jesus' first coming. But what about this Luke passage, his second coming? There'll be signs in the moon, the sun and the moon and the stars. On earth, anguish, the roaring and tossing of the sea, people fainting. Um, when you see these things, verse 28 in, in Luke chapter 21, uh, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So it seems like the world will get worse and worse and more chaotic. It's a very chaotic picture that Jesus is painting with this prophetic language. That we know that his return is nearer and nearer. Specifically about the stars, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. 
Um, we shouldn't read too much into this. This is actually, Jesus is using prophetic kind of Old Testament language here. So in the Old Testament, if you, darkening of the sky and a celestial activity is all signs of God's judgment. So in, for example, in the prophet Isaiah, we have Isaiah predicting the fall of Babylon. And it, and it did occur in 539 B.C. He says in Isaiah 13, The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So the sun didn't literally stop shining that day and the, all the stars go out. But it was a, it's an image, it's a, it's a picture, a prophetic picture of God's judgment against this nation. And so, as I understand, Jesus isn't intending us to, to take this literally, that stars are going to literally fall on the earth and the sun and the moon will literally stop shining. Um, he's using familiar language to understand God's future judgment, and we can be certain of that. So, so, so what in the world does this mean? How do we live in light of this? Jesus, thank goodness, told us what, how he wants us to respond to this in verse 34. This is the whole point. He's, he's, Jesus has just explained this long, you can read in, in Luke 21, he's given this long prediction about the destruction of the temple and about his second coming, and all these things are going to happen. Then he says, well, be careful then. Or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Why is he saying this? He's saying it's so we can live with faithful vigilance. Jesus isn't trying to satisfy our curiosity or help us to make predictions. It's meant, um, and it's not meant to describe these details, the, the finest little details of the future. It's, it's about practical everyday life. Specifically, anxiety. Things that make us fearful, things that we feel are out of control or that we're incapable of managing on our own. So as we sit here in this room, if I were to say, how many of you really, you know, you're really struggling with the stars and then this comet tonight and all these things? Probably not a lot of you, but if I say, hey, are you anxious about anything? Are there things in your life that feel out of control? That you can't manage anymore? See, remember, God is in control of all things. As Brian said a couple weeks ago, God is in control of all of history, but he's in control of your history and the history of your life. He holds it all in his hands, so we don't have to have this anxiety. We can trust him. Specifically, things we can avoid. So avoiding anxiety, avoiding carousing and drunkenness. What I would generally lump into a category of numbing, not just talking about alcoholism or addiction, although certainly that could be a, a terrible effect of it. But uh, drinking, just to take the edge off, or anything we do to sort of take the edge off of the difficulties of life. And when we use things like alcohol to numb our pain and our struggles, it, it numbs our whole self down. Author Brene Brown, in her book called Daring Greatly, she talks about this numbing behavior that people exhibit. Because numbing doesn't just deaden the pain of our difficult experiences. Numbing vulnerability also dulls our experiences of love, joy, belonging, creativity, and empathy. We can't selectively numb emotion. Numb the dark and you numb the light. 
And it's not just alcohol that we use to numb things. We, we do all kinds of things to just distract ourselves, whether it's um, just watching sports or TV shows or, um, or just busyness, using the busyness of life to sort of numb out the reality of our lives. And none of those things on their own are bad things. In moderation, those, are, those things are not evil. But as we use them to escape the reality of the world, that's when they're bad. And that's why we need to remember Jesus is coming back so we don't just escape this world, but we are mindful that God is redeeming this world, that this is a reality that will happen, and we can live in light of that. So it calls us as people of faith in verse 34 to be watchful, verse 36 to be prayerful. However this all goes down, in Jesus we can endure it. Even if many fall away, that we can be sure in our faith. And we are prayerful because God is sovereign over all these things. And here's the most important thing. Our lives are part of God's big story. They're part of the, the, God's big story of creating the world, of the world becoming very broken by human sin, and his process of restoring it. And Christ comes and the, the centerpiece of this whole redemptive story is the Savior who comes at Christmas, the, that, that, that first Christmas, and he lives his life, his perfect life, and he dies on our behalf to redeem us so that God can redeem and restore this world. And he's doing it, and he will do it in all of its completion. If we forget that our lives fit into that story, we'll just get dragged down by everything we struggle with, by everything that makes us anxious, by everything that troubles us, by all of our own sin, but we know that he's going to bring his salvation to completion and we need to hold to that so we don't get dragged down. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We, we don't understand your ways. We, we don't. We, we sit and we are amazed at what you have done and what you continue to do even today and in great expectation of what you will do in the future. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to take advantage of every opportunity you've given us. Help us to trust you with our fears and our anxieties. Help us to cast our cares on you, and you, Lord, will lift us up. Thank you that you hold all of history in your hands, that you hold our lives in your hands. May you receive the glory that you were due in every way, Lord. Help us to trust you more. Help us to be people of prayer. Change our hearts, Lord. Help us to know yours. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ our coming Savior. Amen.